You're listening to Pod News Extra. More stuff from Pod News and the Pod News Weekly Review. This podcast is hosted and sponsored by Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout gives you easy and powerful tools with free learning materials and remarkable customer support. It even includes dynamic audio, like this. Get started free today at buzzsprout.com. Let's see if I can get this right. Welcome back to Pod News, a weekly review. I'm joined by good friend Chris Messina, who's been on the show several times before. He's also one of our top guys who gives us lots of hints and tips about stuff out there. Chris is also the co-host of Tech Meme a Ride Home Experience, a podcast that I listen to daily. He is also the product lead at Republica, and he's the number one product hunter as well. Apart from that, he's also the inventor of the hashtag, and when he gets time, he actually started doing a lot of the open source stuff, and why he's here today to talk about ActivityPub. Chris, hello, how are you? Hello, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I've been sort of deluged by this whole Twitter thing. It's been sort of a nonstop set of train wrecks happening all at once, and it's very hard to look away. Yeah, this is probably why we're talking, because obviously Elon, from a joking tweet, I assume he ended up buying a company for $44 billion. He's now, as you say, caused a train wreck. But that's led to people looking outside of Twitter to Mastodon. Mm. And then, of course, people have suddenly gone, well, what's Mastodon? What's the Fediverse? And, of mm. course, then they've looked under the hood and said, there's something called ActivityPub. What is this thing? So... Chris, tell me, what is ActivityPub and what was your involvement with it? Let's start off there. Yeah, so it's such a funny moment. There's been sort of blips along the way when people have wanted to leave Twitter and have wanted to move to either some sort of decentralized system where there's not one corporate overlord, so to speak, essentially the lord of the realm. And these formats and technologies that enable decentralization have continued to be developed in the background. And so... All the way back in, I want to say 2007-ish, 2008, there was a number of us who were early Twitter users. In fact, some of the early Twitter employees, even Jack Dorsey, I mean, to this day, Blue Sky is kind of like the latest iteration of some of these concepts. We're thinking about how to decentralize the social web just as email was decentralized messaging. So ActivityPub was a format that was an evolution of a format that I created, again, with some of my friends called Activity Streams. And the concept of activity streams was to add more fidelity and information to RSS feeds. So RSS at the time was the way to syndicate blogs. Blogs were kind of a way of taking or serving the job of newspapers, but on normal everyday people's like posts. And so that would syndicate and you could follow updates for people writing things. The core insight for activity streams and then activity pub was to say, well, we want to be able to syndicate information just more than just blog posts. And we want to be able to articulate verbs beyond just write. And we also want to specify a noun, who is the actor in this context. And so we had a very simple, what's called a tuple, essentially a relationship between three things, an actor, a verb, and an object. So the standard in RSS and the standard in the Atom format as well was Chris wrote a blog post. But if you wanted to say, Sam added Chris as a friend, well, we needed to enhance the standard to be able to express that so that clients who were receiving that information would know how to render it correctly. And this mm -hmm. is at the time when the Facebook newsfeed was starting to become popular. And so what we wanted to do was to create an inventory of all those existing actions and activities 
and make it possible for essentially regular blog software like WordPress to be able to syndicate those activities as well. That produced the activity streams format. And then eventually over time, I sort of rolled off and some other people rolled off, but other people, including actually IBM of all places and folks at the IBM platform team decided to pick up that format because it was royalty free and it was open source and to continue to develop it into ActivityPub. And ActivityPub also kind of derives part of its name from, I don't know if you remember this, PubSub Hubbub, which was yep. also a really push yep. Yep. and WebPub. And these concepts are essentially a way to create a subscription to receive updates when something changes, as opposed to a model where every time something is updated, it sends out an update to everybody. So there's polling and there's push. And this architecture allows things to scale more effectively. So ActivityPub is essentially a way for a bunch of nodes on a network to um, subscribe to each other's updates and receive them in decentralized destinations. So maybe that's a little bit techie, but the core concept, again, is just to imagine the way that email works. And let's set Gmail aside. Anybody can send a message from someone to somebody else on another server. And the username is embedded in the email format itself. So Chris at some mastodon.social. Yep. And when an activity is published, the activity information is sent to whoever has subscribed to get those updates. And that's how you create the Fediverse. So right. that's kind of how this all works. That makes sense. Yeah. And that itself works very well. You've got many different services. There's PeerTube, there's Mastodon, there's many others that exist today. But it's never really caught on for some reason. Why do you think that was? I know it uses something like it's like a technological RDF and these triples, the active verb object structure. But was it because it was complex or because it was too soon and people just weren't ready for it? What do you think? I think it depends on how you define success and what people care about. Twitter has 300 million users. How many of those 300 million users have any sense of what's going on? I think for mm -hmm. some people, it's like raiding the candy store and everyone has the blue Skittles now or the blue M&Ms. So... Like for them, it's great. They don't care. Like the, the inmates are running this island. The Joker's cool. Like what's the problem? So when it comes to answering your question, why didn't it happen or why didn't it work before? Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's going to work this time either because the concerns that are represented by people who want to decentralize the social networks are so kind of layers away from or steps removed from what most people I think really care about. Mostly they want to be able to follow the people that they're interested in. They want to get those updates in a reliable way. Typically, they don't want to learn anything that's really that new or that complicated. And it's similar to kind of like the origin story for the hashtag. I mean, the hashtag was designed to decentralize the social web as well. Um, I started with Twitter because that's the platform that we were on, but it was designed to be something that you could use anywhere that you could produce text. And so we see that now. Most social platforms, the hashtag exists and you can use it on yep. Pinterest. It's very popular on TikTok. And I have very little relationship to TikTok, yet it passes the drunk test because you can be out with a friend and posting a photo of something stupid or whatever, or post a video to TikTok. And, you know, you might choose one or more hashtags to label your content. And then your friend looks over your shoulder and is like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, if I like a hashtag every New York City cocktails or something, like I'll get more people to see it. And of course, the other person's like, oh, well, I want my stuff to be seen by more people. And so they'll adopt it. Whereas right. if the same thing is happening and someone's looking over my shoulder and they see Mastodon, I'm like, what's that? It looks like a worse version of Twitter. And you're like, yeah, it kind of is. And then there's these servers and you have to like pick a server and then you have to like sign up and then you have to like follow your friends. And I will say, and I will accept and I will encourage, or I guess allow that uh, Mastodon has done quite a lot of work to make decentralized social networks more accessible and easier for many mm -hmm. people to use. But it's very similar to choosing a wallet provider in crypto. It's sort of a set of decisions that I think a lot of people don't have heuristics or rubrics to use to yep. make a sensible choice. 
And for example, I'm on mastodon.xyz. Why did I choose that? I have no idea. It was like eight years ago. So in a similar way, when someone asked me, oh, which server should I use? I'm like, well, there's sort of like servers that are about different topics or themes. But then it's like, well, is it, you know, am I baked in for life? And it's like, well, it's if you end up, and this is not exactly true, so crypto bros don't come at me, but like if you choose the wrong wallet provider for a custodial wallet, you will kind of be stuck with MetaMask or Coinbase or whatever, just through the difficulty of sort of updating and changing things. Sure, you can recreate your wallet elsewhere with your keys or whatever, but like it's a task that I think many people would find daunting, scary, and could lead to disaster. And a lot of people want to avoid that. So ultimately, the answer to your question, and this is a very roundabout way of getting there, is that it's a complex system and it's a complex set of human considerations that where the benefits just aren't there relative to the contrary. Now, if Elon continues to ruin the value of the blue check and continues to erode trust in the platform and the belief that if everybody pays $8, we will live in a new world order that somehow over time, let's say over six months, becomes more trustworthy, perhaps that'll work out. But it is an enormous bet and I think it is a question as to whether he has to destroy the thing that makes the thing so great before he gets to reveal his vision for how this thing actually should work. And I don't know if people are going to stick around for that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, taking your analogy, first of all, of the Mastodon that you've chosen, that's the same actually challenge of choosing which email client or email yeah. server to go to. Do you use Gmail, Hotmail, do you right. use whatever? There's right? no portability, essentially, yeah. in this case. Right. Yeah. Uh, so actually, there is. I think there is in Mastodon. But again, it's one of those things that, one, you don't want to do it very often and yeah. doing it is a pain. Whereas in Twitter, it's like, you got a Twitter account where you don't. And you forget your password, just create another Twitter account. Like for most people, I don't think it's that big a deal. It's very disposable. And their relationship yeah. to it, unlike you and I, isn't like our core identity. And so I had this crazy dream last night where I was walking around some, I don't know, this vast set of yard sales. And I was seeing all these old Batman comics, like from like the 60s and 70s. And I was like, with a group of people. So I couldn't slow down and stop and like pick them up and look at them. And I was like, huh, I'm leaving these things behind, which I think are actually kind of interesting and valuable. I'm a previous comic collector. And, and yet for many people in the same space, like my friends who I'm with, they don't see any value in this thing whatsoever. So I, for some reason was thinking about Twitter and I was like, if I just left Twitter, what difference would it make? Like it's so much of me and my legacy in some ways. And I, I relate to my, what, 16, 17 years of being on the service and all the like my 80,000 tweets or whatever stupid ridiculousness. But if I walked away from it, what would it mean? Well, I'd have a lot more time and attention and focus in my normal life. And so I was sort of just, I think, reflecting on like where we are and like, is it time for a kind of winter in social media and for us to take that pause and step back and sort of reconsider how we want social media to exist in our lives also to learn from a younger, a younger generation that grows up looking at these things and they have no idea like why we use Twitter as obsessively as we do and there are better things out there to do. I, I don't know. Well, my teenage children don't use Twitter. They're on TikTok and Instagram. Right. I mean, nothing, yeah. no interest right. at all. Facebook, Twitter. Mm-hmm. No, couldn't be bothered. It is like it's our newspaper. It's, they sort of look at it and you're like, oh, okay. like you get like your Sunday delivery. You a so Bringing this back to podcasting a bit, and the reason why mm. I was interested is Castapod from Benjamin Bellamy mm. uses ActivityPub, and again, it's a federated service for podcasting. It's also one of the standards or new standards within the namespace for something called cross-commenting. So what mm. they've used is ActivityPub to allow you to put comments in Castapod, but then you could actually put them in Mastodon and link it back. And that yep. comment will live yep. with the uh, RSS feed and move around. So it, fundamentally, that's one benefit. The other thing I noticed the other day, I mean, it comes back to what Twitter's been doing with the blue check. So 
Elon going the lords and the peasants and people being ver- verified. And clearly, the blue check was a verification. And now it's just a, a me- mechanism of a receipt that you've paid for a right. blue check with a credit card. So good. Well done. You have a credit card is the only thing that the blue check now means, right? Well, I mean, and to be fair, though, it is a status signifier to some degree. And it has some cultural cachet, although I believe the half-life is rapidly diminishing. I mean, it right. used to have cachet. Uh, and I was listening to Leo Laporte saying that he's got three months, he's been warned that if he doesn't pay Same. for his blue ticket, it'll yeah. be taken. After 90 days, they'll take it away. Yeah. yeah. So okay. fundamentally, I've got it for one month. I wanted to see what Twitter Blue was about. I wish he'd just created Twitter Pro. I would have signed right. up to it and left the blue check alone. But that's a separate story. But what I did notice in Mastodon, which was really interesting, was the self-verification mechanism was uh-huh. to use a oh, microformat, yes. which mm-hmm. you, again, were part of the microformats with Kevin Marks and many others, yep. where it uses a rel equals me statement, right? And that's yep. a great way to verify. Instead of paying for your blue check, it could have been a rel equals me statement. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, this is also something that I had posted about, of course, on Twitter, there's a set of verifications that anybody could do. And I got to some conversation about this because GitHub uses something very similar to prove domain ownership, right? So if Bill Gates is on Twitter and his account asserts that Twitter has verified that he has access to Microsoft.com, and that's a pretty strong validation that at least the Bill Gates that I'm searching for is the one that's related to Microsoft. That's sort of ironic that I'm using that example, but nonetheless, you get the idea. And that's the type of thing that we could do with all sorts of digital identifiers. And so you could say, this person has verified their phone number. This person does have a credit card. In fact, we've authorized it and they paid for it. In the case of the Deezer project, which was the project back in 2007 that I helped kickstart to try to decentralize the social network landscape, mm-hmm. Relic Was Me was a way for an individual to have multiple websites or multiple profiles on services that were set up. So I could have my Twitter account. I could have, I don't know if you remember, BrightKite. I could have Pounce or Reddit, all these different profiles. And essentially you could link to one profile to another using this meta tag, which could be a rel link in the header of the HTML document or on any link in the page. And it would say relic was me. And as long as the other page pointed back at the originating page with the same relic was me, that was what created identity. Like literally this is me over here and this is me over there. Therefore those two are the same. And then you can create a web of your social networking profiles. Very simple, very elegant, and extremely scalable, scalable to the web. Unfortunately, again, it's somewhat more technical. And the degree to which people have the ability to edit HTML or modify servers nowadays is much less, especially when you consider how many people are creating kind of web profiles or even link in bio links using visual editors that never give you access to the source code. So I appreciate that Mastodon has that capability And I think it's really cool. And I think for people that run our own servers or have more technical abilities, it's a very easy, again, elegant solution for this identity problem. And it could be one of many different ways that profiles are verified. In fact, actually, I believe Facebook and Twitter at different points and specifically Google all supported Relic was me. So if considering my work on Google Plus, I designed the profile for Google, that was an opportunity for us to aggregate all of those profiles together and make it possible yeah. for me to search for my friends in Google and have my friends appear based on how they wanted their profiles to be. They've sort of moved, moved away from that model and privacy considerations have evolved. But nonetheless, it is a simple solution that exists that anybody could actually use. Yeah, I, I, again, it's a shame that it, it didn't take off. 
Well, again, based on what level of heuristic, because in the background, there are millions, if not billions of rel equals me links, the degree to which mainstream services chose not to adopt them or embrace them or to use them in a pronounced way, I think is, yeah, in that sense, maybe that was a failure. Sure. In that sense, it's a shame that they weren't used. Okay. And I think, mm -hmm. so what I was thinking was, and I'd love your thoughts, there is the new person tag within the podcast index namespace. Mm. I'm sort of thinking, is there a way of extending the person tag to use any of this? That's just one question. Mm -hmm. There's also a new namespace tag called podcast.txt, which Apple of all companies is now beginning to support because they want to remove the email within the RSS oh, yeah. feed because of all the spamming. And that's an open text field. That's basically a DNS like TXT field, right? So I see. Could we put a rel equals me inside of that to verify? Could this be how you combine, you know, some of the work that you did with rel equals me and some of the microformat stuff, or if not the microformat stuff, certainly the actor element of the actor verb object from activity mm. pub to the person tag? I'm just thinking, how can we combine it and make it relevant for what we're doing within the podcasting space very specifically rather than just generically across social media? I'll answer this in a couple of different ways. I don't know enough about the formats to kind of opine on whether or not it makes sense. What I would sort of think about is the prompt you're solving for. So if you're solving for identity, and especially mm -hmm. in podcast feeds, then you have to think about what is the authoritative source of information so that if that information were to be modified or changed, or if someone converts or changes podcast feed, is there a chance of corruption or, you know, where a downstream client could make the wrong assumption about who the author of a podcast is or who the owner is. So you want to be very careful about things like that. However, yes, I would then also think about ways where you could associate the author or speaker or interviewee, or just like people who might be mentioned in a podcast or associated with a podcast episode and how you could link off to their canonical profile or, or, or link on the web. One thing that we actually built, I think I want to say back in 2008 or 2009, a friend of mine, Will Norris, who is very active in the Diesel community, built something called Email Toid, or I guess another way to say it is Email to ID. So Email Toid. Oh, okay. yeah. And what this did was it allowed you to take an email address or an email formatted identifier. So essentially you have a username at some domain, and you would essentially hit a very basic API endpoint, and you'd pass in this email-like identifier, and it would send you back that person's open ID. This allowed for people to use what was very familiar to them, an email address, but then convert it into a profile on a service. So for example, if you were to take someone's Gmail address, gmail.com, of course, is the domain that is the kind of owner of that identifier. And so... You would then ask Gmail, okay, you know, who is Sam Sethi at gmail.com? And then Gmail would say, oh, okay, well, his actual profile address is google.com slash profile slash Sam Sethi. Now you wouldn't be able to deduce what your profile is. You might assume, well, it's gmail.com slash Sam Sethi, but in fact, the authoritative source of that information will be gmail.com. And it gives you the proper redirect for that realme link. And I don't know if Mastodon actually supports this today, but the fact that Apple is removing the email address from the format to address a privacy concern is sort of a backwards way of solving the problem because you're making an assumption that the email style identifier in the podcast format is actually an email inbox as opposed to a username at some service. Does that make sense? Yep. So essentially you want to be able to convert back and forth between these things. What is a web resource versus what is an identifier that someone uses perhaps for messaging, 
or perhaps as their destination on a specific Mastodon instance. So if we move away from or kind of strip the sort of specialness of email address, email formatted addresses as some sort of PII, and it's just an identifier of a resource at a certain location or server, suddenly we have a very useful, very familiar way to identify users across, whether it's the Fediverse or just the social web. Um, and so I think that could be something that might be relevant to reintroduce into the podcast namespace. So for example, for a person that's listed in this format, you could have, you know, chrismasina at mastodon.xyz. That's not my email address, but that would be where you could find my profile on my Mastodon instance. And it would be really useful because once you've identified in that, then your comments could be... Yeah, exactly. They could be aggregated and, and, and they could be authenticated. That. Yeah, right. exactly. 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 Right. Wow. So uh, do you ever feel like sometimes that it's taken 10 years or more for <laughs> ideas to sort of permeate down? Unfortunately, I talk to my partner about this all the time and she sort of limits it with me, I guess. Like, I don't want to give myself too much credit, but sort of sometimes being a visionary and seeing how things can play out. And it's just the nature of the way that my mind works to sort of see patterns <laughs> that I get there way before everybody else. And I kind of, I, I guess I go sort of through this exhaustive process of evaluating and then eliminating all the other possibilities that probably won't work or will break down for some reason. I mean, it's sort of like an Occam's razor type of thing. It's like the hashtag had to be the only solution that I can imagine, which maybe is why Elon Musk is very similar. I'm not comparing myself to Elon Musk, but in the sense that Elon's like, the only way that we're going to solve this problem is if we, if we charge everybody and then everyone else is sort of outside the gates. And if you are inside the paying gates, then we're going to have a much better, much more vibrant experience because everyone has gone through that kind of friction to have and maintain an account. And in a similar way, back when I was coming up with the idea for the hashtag, it was like, well, this has to work over SMS. It has to work in the message itself because adding another field adds complication and friction. And I mean, we struggled with the same thing with OpenID. That's how we got to the email to ID solution. It was like most people are not familiar with typing in a web address or their web profile to sign into a website. And that was one of the major failures of OpenID. So it's like, well, why don't we just make it possible for somebody to use an existing email style identifier that they already have and that they feel personally about, they own it, and it has the property of possibly being useful for messaging as well. We'll let them type that into the box and then that's how they will authenticate. So there's just cases like that where I think being able to think through these things to their logical conclusion, you can kind of get to that point, but then it takes a lot of time for other people to realize all the other limitations of all the other possible solutions. Like for example, I've seen many people propose many different solutions for the blue check and for different types of verification and different types of badges. And you could have like the gold badge and the platinum badge and all those different things. And at some point, this is one of the first things that I tweeted about after um, the change went into effect for the Twitter blue things that if you send a link to a tweet of a verified person on iMessage or on most other messaging platforms, it does not indicate the verification of that person. So there was someone who, of course, pretended to become Elon Musk and it was verified on Twitter because that person paid for it. And then when I send the link to somebody via iMessage, it just said that this was a tweet by Elon Musk. And so the other person saw it. They were like, oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> just like what happened with Eli Lilly. So you have to think about the downstream consequences of some of these things that are, of course, solved on centralized platforms, but then have to federate. And so you have to be very careful about the assumptions that you built in to the downstream network that you want to participate in the system, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for explaining some of that. Sure. We'll wait for everyone to catch up with you. We're getting there as fast as we can. I was just 
joking with you before we started that apart from you and I spending a lot of time talking about microformats as well in the day, I remembered something called the APML, the Attention Profile Markup Language. Yes. We won't talk about that today. Everyone can go and look it up if they're really interested. That's probably five years from now before we get to that one. You know, but but just sort of like, you know, like provide some context for that. We knew, I mean, I want to say in the early, earliest days that the attention economy was the thing that needed to be measured and that verification of attention across these platforms was incredibly important. And measuring that attention in a way that was robust and uniform and consistent as we're now finding in the podcast space, which is how podcasts charge for access to their audience, the yeah. fact that those things are not standardized is why it's so hard to kind of move together as an industry. So you see centralized platforms and systems being able to move faster, coordinate with themselves more easily and come up with their own set of standards. But then when it comes to creating an industry-wide platform and system, it becomes much more difficult because now there's like secret sauce that's been developed and they don't want to share it. Anyways, APML was designed to create a very different type of economic competition around services built on attention. Don't worry, I'm still looking at it. And <laughs> when you marry that with lightning addresses and mm. micropayments, yep. there is actually a very viable monetary system to it now, which was the missing part for the attention economy. That's absolutely right. Well, and, you know, payments in general obviously has come so far. The rails are there. It's not that controversial. Digital payments is something that now people take for granted. So, I mean... I do think that you're right. Like one, it would be very valuable for anybody who's building the space to do a little kind of historical digging. Like these ideas are not new. Just like when we thought we were coming up with all these brand new ideas. Now, these ideas have actually been around for a very long time. And it's really, it is about finding that moment when a number of the right constraints and context and readiness kind of occurs. This is what I call ripeness. And we have not been right for a long time. We've been sort of a green grape on the vine and we're not ready to make wine, but maybe now or in 2023, maybe now's the time. I agree with you, Chris. It's coming back. Look it up, everyone. And they are W3C standards as well. Yeah, so they're all out there. Anybody can use them. Exactly. Chris Messina, thanks a lot. Thanks for jumping on this call, mate. Speak to you soon. Thanks. Appreciate it.